Welcome to Women's Leadership Today. I'm your host, Nicolette Sarosky. Today we're talking with Brenda Harrington, author of Access Denied, Addressing Workplace Disparities and Discrimination, a book that shares stories about the lived experiences of minorities in the workplace and provides tools for navigating challenging circumstances. Brenda is a certified executive coach and founder of Adaptive Leadership Strategies, LLC. Sorry about that. A firm that works with leaders across the globe to help them develop the professional habits necessary for success in the 21st century. She is a graduate of the Georgetown University Leadership Coaching Program, and she holds a master's degree from Virginia Polytechnic Institute and State University, Pamplin College of Business, and a bachelor's degree from Adelphi University. Welcome, Brenda. Thank you so much. And I apologize for the for the mouthful that is my company name. <laughs> oh, not a problem at all. Not a problem. I've actually had longer on here, so <laughs> it's not a, not an issue. <laughs> the Progressive Women's Leadership Book Club is reading your book this month, Brenda, and we all agree that it is a powerful read. I'd love if you could start us off by telling us a little bit about the book and why you wrote it. That is so exciting to me. Thank you for your interest in the book, first of all, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that they find it interesting. You know, I'd never had a desire to write. I never dreamed about working, uh, writing a book or anything like that. But the events of the spring of 2020 hit me like a very loud and powerful call to action. As we all know, we experienced and witnessed a series of, of unfortunate events in the United States mm-hmm. during that period. And it wasn't so much that I was surprised uh, by what was happening. I was saddened by the fact that that some of the circumstances that led up to the events were still so pervasive. But what was more troubling were the conversations that, that arose after, that emerged, I should say, after those events. Uh, a lot of the questions, uh, it unearthed some very powerful stories among members of minor- minority groups, Black, mm-hmm. you know, uh, members, of the, members of the Black community, Hispanic, LGBTQ, across the board. So it wasn't just, you know, racial minorities, but also questions from who I refer to as the dominant group, respectfully, just in surprise and utter shock, which was amazing mm-hmm. to me. Yeah. So I don't have a platform. I'm not Oprah. (laughs) I don't have a talk show. (laughs) But I felt that it was, I almost felt an obligation to start a conversation. And that's what led me to writing the book. And your passion definitely comes across in the writing for sure. Thank you. Thank you. And I'd like to go ahead and just um, jump right into some talking points that came out of reading your book, um, which I found very interesting and very engaging. Um, I read it in the course of three days. Um, I am not a very quick reader, Brenda, so that can tell you a little bit about how much I really enjoyed reading this book. Um, I'd like to jump into the first point um, about identity. Um, this is a topic that you speak on in multiple chapters, so I know that it's something that's, that's really important um, to you. Um, It seems like in the book, everything about your identity can be used against you in the professional world. Is that correct? I would say yes, depending on who the evaluators are or, you know, who holds the keys, if you will. Yes. 
I mean, even like language and um, your appearance, right? In, in one of the stories, in Joy's story, she wouldn't even show her face on her LinkedIn profile. Right. Um, I can't, I can't even imagine, right? So identity is really everything to me. I speak about authenticity a lot in my coaching practice, right? Because what do we really have other than who we are? And when you have to set aside so much of who you are in order to conform or to make others feel comfortable or to be accepted or even to be considered as, you know, it, equal, and I don't even know that we approach equal in this conversation, um, it's very challenging. It's very, very challenging. And what's worse is that you make all of those sacrifices. You know, you straighten your hair, you wear the right clothes, you do all these things, you, you, you educate yourself. Not that you shouldn't do any of these things, but I'm just saying you, you really make some very difficult and sometimes challenging choices in the interest of, of being accepted. And you realize that, you know, you know, maybe you get to 80%, maybe you get to 85%, but you, but you never fully cross the threshold. Yeah. Um, how do you, how do you balance something like that? How do you, because it's not like you can just, and I, I, I know, I know this, that I do relate to this a little bit. You can't just walk into um, your work a lot of the time being a hundred percent who you are. Right. Um, and it's, it's gotta be even harder for, um, minority women in the, in the world. I mean, women, especially you've got those two different aspects. How do you balance, you know, being who you are to get ahead professionally, but then also being who you actually are being authentic. Yeah. To maintain your sanity <laughs> before you even think about career. And that's where having a support system is so important. I talk about mentorship, but I also talk about seating kind of an advisory board, you know, because you, mm -hmm. you need to have people that you can speak with and relate to openly and really just process some of the things you're experiencing. Everything in our lives is, is a matter of influence and at some level politics. You know, we go to work in exchange and we provide services in exchange for compensation. So, you know, that becomes part of the exchange, this, this, Sometimes it goes far as far as to, you know, participate in code switching, right? I hear people from the Caribbean, for example, uh, say that uh, they try to, to modify their accents so that people don't pick up on it and hold it against them. And that almost, you know, that brings tears to my eyes when I, when I think yeah. about that sometimes. Whereas if we hear somebody with a British accent or an Irish accent, you know, that's, that's, there's curiosity, you know, that's not frowned upon. Yeah. Yeah. So you just have to really, you have to find, you have to surround yourself with people to hold you up. That's, that's the best I can say. And do you find it difficult to find those people in your career? Um, let's, let me rephrase that question. So mentoring and support is a whole chapter in the book. It's, it's really, really important. Like you said, um, how do you, how do you build that support system? Is it, is it, can you build that in your career? Um, especially, you know, as women and of women, women, women of color, when you look at the table and there's no one like you there, how do you find mentorship? How do you find support in those situations when you, maybe you're not sure even who you can trust? Yeah. So there's two things there. I like that last part that touched on trust, but let's start with the first part. Mentors do not necessarily need to be internal to the organization where you work. Now, it's great to be able to connect with people 
of the same discipline who do who do similar work you know who are in the same profession and a lot of times you can do that through professional organizations uh you know we have uh you know many people have heard of the D divine nine right this is, is a series of of, of, of black uh, fraternal organizations and sororities uh, so there, there are a number of outlets, a number of resources that we can look to for mentors. They don't have to be people that we work with necessarily, number one. Mm -hmm. Now, when you talk about enlisting people that you can trust, I would argue that uh, it is as important to engage people in conversations and, you know, for to be part of this circle uh, who you might not trust 100%, who you have differences of opinion and points of view with, because this it's all data. You you need and you need yeah. to have the the data as much as possible, you know, as much as you can amass to be able to make the best decisions. I'd like to ask you um, if you have any advice on um, maintaining. It sounds like this is a lot of work, right? <laughs> Like doing all this politics, um, maintaining identity, like not losing yourself. How, how do you maintain your mental health on top of all of this extra work you have to put in? You know, we need to get you a spot on CNN or, or, or a major network or something because you ask such great questions. You really do. How do you maintain your mental health? It's hard. It's hard. Mm -hmm. And that's, again, where the support system, family, friends are so important. In the, in the book, I talk about something called allostatic load, just the continuous and, uh, you know, uh, compounding effect of doing this day after day, uh, you know, week mm -hmm. after week for years, okay, over the, over the arc of your career and, and your life in, in many cases. Uh, so it, it, it takes a lot. It really does. And I think that we've got to be intentional about paying attention to our mental health uh, because that's something that can really get away from you. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's something that, again you have to build into the yes. to the whole yeah. situation. That's yeah. that's really tough. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, something that adds to this to the struggle, right? The discriminatory gaslighting. Mm. This is a, a term coined by um, Dr. Christy um, Pekikaro. Dr. Pekikaro coined this term discriminatory gaslighting. Can you talk a little bit about what that is and how to identify it when it's happening? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think a lot of people are familiar with the term gaslighting, you know, and that's uh, the mm -hmm. intention of another person really uh, to make you believe the things that are other than, than what they appear to be or seem, okay? And so when you add the element of discrimination, and I've also more recently seen it as racial gaslighting, same kind of a thing, you know, it's, it's when you're experiencing a circumstance and you address it or you raise it and, and, and the other person or party will say, oh, no, that, that's not what's happening. Oh, no, you must have misunderstood, right? And so an mm -hmm. example might be, uh, you know, two people equal education and qualifications uh, and experience, you know, being considered for, let's say, not even a position, but even just to lead a project. Right. And the uh, the person of color is, is not selected. And so, you know, when you question that and you say, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm curious about, you know, how that decision was made or, oh, no, no, you misunderstand. You misunderstood. You know, you, it must be something else, you know. So when you're made to feel like, you know, you're really not seeing what you're seeing, 
in plain sight. Yeah. Uh, and, and that happens in, in the largest and the smallest of ways, right? And so you really begin to question and second guess yourself. And, uh, you know, in many cases, you know, what they say there's smoke, there's fire. And I don't mean to make this cliche, but typically there's something there. There's something to, you know, that you need to peel back the layers on. And that's why in the introduction, you might recall, I say, you know, one, I want you to know you're not crazy. Right? Right. <laughs> and then that's the point, right? Because a lot of times, oh, no, 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 that's not what that is. You just, you just, you're overreacting or, you know, you misunderstood. And two, you're not alone, okay? Because it, it happens more than we'd like to admit. Yeah, and you had, um, in, I can't remember if it was one of the stories, um, we, you were talking about the word fine, right? Oh, it's fine. Right. Um, <laughs> and, and it's crazy because, and I can, from experience, I know that like, in a way we can kind of gaslight ourselves as well. Uh, isn't that the truth, right? But that's, that's a result of, of being gaslit, right? Like that's not something, this imposter syndrome that Dr. Picacaro is talking about, um, how it's not actually imposter syndrome, right? It's just systematic gaslighting <laughs> that builds this doubt in your own mind. Exactly, exactly. And so I'm going to try to uh, sanitize this a bit, but there are some, some pretty um, egregious stories that led up to that passage that I wrote around this person that kept saying, oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And it got to the point when I heard the third or fourth account of what was happening, I just couldn't, I said, no, none of this is fine. Right. Yeah. But just imagine being with a group of your colleagues to deliver a presentation. You're all using the same slide deck and um, it's your turn to go through your 10 slides, let's say, and you get up to deliver your slides or present your slides just as your colleagues before you have and your colleagues after you will. And uh, your boss, now we've got a power dynamic, right? Your boss mm -hmm. takes the remote from you and, and pushes through the slides and just goes to the last slide and say, okay, thank you very much. We appreciate and, and moves you along. That's the kind of thing that, you know, that, was experienced in this particular instance, right? And and yeah. to which the person said, and that's fine. And I said, no, that's not fine. There's nothing about right. that that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's, it's, that's really crazy. Um, it's like, sorry, I'm forming my thought a little bit on yeah. this. <laughs> no, it's totally, it's totally okay. I, I want, you know, that's what I really love about this conversation is that it, it makes me think in a way that I, I wasn't thinking before, mm -hmm. right? Um, and when we had discussed previously um, to plan this this interview, I had told you, you know, my worldview is very small and I realized that I'm not the primary audience. Um, and then you had said, um, sorry to put words in your mouth, but you had said um, that, that people don't even often admit that. Right, yeah. right. And I would argue that your worldview is a lot larger than many because you are curious, right? And you're interested in, in learning and unpacking. You'd be shocked at the number of people that look at this and say, oh, I had no idea. Oh, that's too bad. And they switch off and they, they keep going, right? So there is no curiosity. Uh, and, and they just accept it as a one-off. But it's, it's still quite pervasive. 
Yeah, and it's a lot of, um, or maybe not not a lot, but I, I imagine there's some that is just um, some bias there that's just unconscious in oh, some yeah, cases, for sure, right? For sure. Listen, I have I have bias. You know, we all have bias, <laughs> and I think I grew up in the New York area, right? And my earliest exposure to people who had Southern accents was, you know, Gomer Pyle. You might not even know who I'm talking about, you know, uh, <laughs> the Beverly Hillbillies and, and, you know, television characters, basically, that, that weren't portrayed as being very bright. And so my association with people who had Southern accents was that they weren't smart. Okay. And, and so you just imagine the amount, the kind of bias that that builds in, right? For a young person, right. things like that. We're all products of those kinds of, that kind of early thinking until we know better, until we learn more. Right. The challenge is that so much of our story uh, as Black Americans in particular uh, is suppressed. And we're, we're experiencing a lot of that right now. And we won't go down that yeah. rabbit hole. But so much of it has been uh, suppressed and, and is not told uh, that we really, you know, we really don't know. We really, we really don't connect those dots. Yeah. I'd like to, um, talk about advocacy. That's another big topic in your book. Um, with all of these challenges, right. With all these struggles with the mental load, um, how do you advocate for yourself and others when, you know, if you feel like, how do you have the courage to speak up if you feel like that, that that might be another just one more thing that's used against yeah, you yeah yeah it's a tough one because it might be used against you and we are often you know find ourselves at a crossroads we're often faced with difficult decisions the question i ask myself uh often is what's the worst that could happen and my circumstances are very different i want to say to everybody listening okay so i'm not asking anybody to to put themselves, take, take unnecessary risks. Um, but what I am uh, challenging everyone to do and encouraging everyone to do is to really think about opportunities that they do have to address things, to become more aware. Some circumstances rise to, you know, the, the necessity of having family conversations about how to move forward, you know, and, and whether or not to mm -hmm. take risks. The other side of that, though, Nicolette, is that when you don't say something, when you let things pass, when you look the other way, when you choose to say, that's fine, then right. you're sending the message that it's okay to treat me this way, okay? And everything you're doing is acceptable. And that I don't feel we can afford to do, any of us. Absolutely. Um, especially, you know, in this day and age, we right. we really can't take a, a backseat anymore, right? Right. So in the book, you say, the quote is, um, we cannot change the hearts and minds of those who have biases that do not favor mm -hmm. us, which is a little bit what we're talking about here, right? Um, people who aren't, aren't willing to open their eyes, who aren't willing to educate themselves, who aren't curious and won't ask questions. Um, a lot of those people hold very high seats in the corporate world. Um, and if that's the case, right, if, if we can't waste the energy on trying to change their hearts and minds, then what, in your opinion, do you think needs to happen to create a work environment that is more inclusive and equitable across the board? You know, I don't think it's ever a waste of energy to give it a try. And when I say that uh, we cannot change hearts and minds, I don't mean to say that hearts and minds cannot be changed. 
Okay, but that's a very personal choice and it's a personal commitment. Right. I think that where there are biases that are influencing the work environment, individuals in the work environment, all an organization can do is hold people accountable. And, and sometimes mm-hmm. people look at that purely through the lens of risk management, okay, in terms of making themselves vulnerable to, to legal action and things like that. But there are others who, uh, through this learning process, through awareness that's created as a result of 2020 and perhaps, you know, books like mine and things like that, who really do want to make a change. And, and it's difficult because everybody's not in lockstep on that. Everybody's not in agreement on it. But the answer is accountability and just really setting an expectation for a particular standard and a particular type of behavior and to, you know, just administer a degree of, of uh, equity when making decisions and interacting and engaging with employees. Do you have any advice for someone who might want to bring bring up this topic with their employer, with their boss, with their manager, um, you know, to advocate for themselves and others in the workplace? Do you have any um, tips on how to navigate that um, delicately? Yes. I think that it begins with curiosity and asking questions. You know, I talk in the book about knowing who the power, who holds the power, number one, who the power players are. Uh, and what and and the decision makers, but also understanding their values, and mm-hmm. y- you really have to. It, it's kind of like you know stepping off of a curb uh, after the rain. You see water, but you need to know is it a deep puddle or is it just a little you know. So you you want to kind of yeah. stick your toe in, but but I think you first have to understand your audience, you know, mm-hmm. to know how best to proceed with a conversation. I always believe, and this is, you know, part of my my coach education and training, um, I always believe that it's good to begin with questions, you know, so what are your thoughts about this? You know, how do you you think Nicolette is doing on this project? And, you know, what do you think about her work? And, you know, so you really want to just have a discussion and learn more about where the person is coming from, and then you know what kind of conversation that you can have. In some cases, you may find that, you know, having a conversation approaching the subject would really be at risk. Then perhaps you have other decisions to make, you know, mm-hmm. um, but, but starting with really understanding the audience and preparing for the, for the discussion. Um, I'd like to ask you a couple of curveball questions, if you don't of mind. Course. What is your opinion on, for example, bias training in the workplace? You know, the words bias and training don't really go together in my mind. I think that there is learning and awareness that, you know, that, that can take place. Uh, mm-hmm. all, all organizations, many organizations, I shouldn't be so absolute, but many organizations have jumped on the bandwagon. You know, all of a sudden we see all of these DE&I statements popping up on websites and, you know, people are getting certifications and all these things. I don't even know, you know, the, the, the merit of some of these things, but nevertheless, um, I don't know that you can expect much value out of training on bias beyond the fact mm-hmm. that it creates awareness. What it comes back to for me is, you know, setting expectations and holding people accountable. I think mm-hmm. that when you talk about things that are packaged as bias or DEI training, it does help to create 
awareness. Like I said, huh, I had no idea, right? Oh, I didn't realize that, or I never saw that that way. What's important is what happens next. And that's what's missing, right? right. right? So if we, if we all sit around a table for two hours and we have this conversation, now you're aware, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? And that's, that's where I think things are really falling short. So there almost has to be like a, like a planning session. Absolutely. Yeah, there's got to be intention. There's got to be intention. And it needs to show up everywhere. You know, the accountability. How do you hold people accountable? You know, it needs to show up in formal and informal reviews, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I don't think that senior leaders can be hands off when it comes to, you know, how, how people, the work experience of people on teams, you know, that are led by, by people who report to them, all of those things. So if you see that, you know, there's, there's, there's one member of a team that's different from everybody else, you need to kind of pay attention to that and, and see how things are mm -hmm. going. Or if you continuously hear that this person is not being mentioned as part of a project or work or things like that, you need to be inquisitive and, and, and figure out why. Uh, you know, that may or may not lead to, to more biases, but, but those are the kinds of things you've got to be willing to engage in. Yeah. Um, one more curveball for you. Now the work environment has, and I like to bring this up in a couple of my interviews just because it's so prevalent right now. The work environment has sw switched a lot to a more remote and hybrid mm -hmm. situation. Um, and the issue there is that now visibility is even lower right. for women, right? Um, and which means even lower for women of color as well, even lower than that, right? So how do you maintain your visibility in this new environment when it's already starting at such a, a handicap, right? Yeah, being more intentional. You know, I, I have so many clients that struggle with the whole remote work environment, you know, because they're reticent to schedule 15 minute conversations for things that used to be solvable, you know, at the coffee station and things like that. But we've got to be more intentional and we've got to really uh, initiate reaching out more, really staying engaged. I talk in the book about all of the things that take place, all of the relationships that are cultivated really outside of the office, those social activities and things like that. And so we've got to bring that into the conversations. Oh, have you seen so-and-so lately? Oh yeah, she and I went to coffee because people are doing these things. You know, they're, they're meeting uh, offsite, not in the office, but maybe offsite once a week to work and things like that. You need to know about those things. And, and, and so, you know, like you said earlier, it sounds like a lot of work and it is, right? Yeah. Um, I, I refer to this somewhat in jest in the book as, as kind of the side hustle. Your, your main job is, is your day job, but then the side hustle is, is keeping all these other things in play. Never been more important than it is now. Yeah, you kind of, uh, everyone kind of has to be an, an actor and a politician and, and also whatever their job is, right? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Now, before we wrap up today, um, I'd like to talk about what you mentioned in a note from the author, right, about the publishing company that wouldn't consider the book because of the cover art. Um, can you talk a little bit about the meaning behind that artwork? Yeah. So it wasn't that they wouldn't consider it. They came at me like initially and said, well, that looks like a children's book. You know, we're going to we're going to put together a cover for you that really will help to market the book and 
you know, make it more visible, all these kinds of things. So the cover art was created by the incomparable Dr. Jeanette Kowalik, uh, who is uh, secondarily an artist. She's a public health official. Uh, and I never knew she painted. And, and one day she had a beautiful painting hanging behind her. And I, I commented on it. She told me that that was her own work. And so when I was writing the book, I asked her to conceptualize what I was thinking in an image. And when she presented that to me, she pre presented a few concepts, actually. But when she presented that to me, it brought tears to my eyes. Because what that represents to me is a just a, a world of opportunities, those bubbles, those dots in all different colors, such a myriad of opportunities that are just beyond our reach. We can see them. You know, in some in some cases, we can touch them, we can experience them, but 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 they're out of reach for us. They're out of reach for me. Okay, and the grounding in the field, the grass, and all of that really is a representation, you know, of our beginnings in this country, right? And so many things that tie back to the days of slavery. People like to talk about uh, slavery and civil war and everything as being history and something that's over, but they don't map the impact that it's had and has over time. It shows up, the impact shows up in our, in our legal, in our judicial system. It shows up in our social system and it still has a hold on how we think about circumstances in this country. And so that, that really reflects the journey and just still reaching, still striving for these things that are inaccessible to us. And it is, it's beautiful artwork on the cover Thank there. Uh, she did a she, great, great job. Did, yes. That that story about the publisher is is kind of a metaphor in its own right, right? <laughs> like yes. completely overlooking the issue without even considering what the meaning might be. Right. Um, that I, I really, Almost, it almost made me cry. <laughs> that little part at the end there. Yeah, no, I didn't mean I didn't mean for that to happen, but it is. It really and and so you know when you think about it, these these things show up every people people say to me, how do you put up with that every day? How does that? And a friend of mine, an, an HR friend of mine, says all day every day, and it's the truth. And people say, well, how do you you know how are you so pleasant? Why are you not upset? Well, what's the alternative? You know, you you don't want to live right. life in anger, right? So you just right. find ways to. You just get through it. Brenda, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and going over your book. Well, the pleasure is mine. I'm grateful for your interest in the book. Thank you for sharing it with the book club. And really, thank you for uh, the, the questions, the, the, the meaningful questions that you've asked. Uh, I'm appreciative that you've, that you've really uh, taken a deeper dive into the, to the meaning behind some of what was presented in the book. So thank you. Absolutely. It's, it's been a pleasure to speak with you um, about this today. Um, that is all the time we have. We do release two episodes a month, and you won't want to miss a single one. You can now watch us on YouTube and listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, almost anywhere podcasts can be found. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe today and follow along with us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you again, Brenda, and thank you to all of our listeners. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Progressive Women's Leadership is passionate about providing the best tools to help you reach your fullest potential. Visit us today at progressivewomensleadership.com for access to workshops, 
articles, e-guides, and much more to help you further develop your skills and advance your career.